I was doing some reading recently about the Indianapolis 500. Famous auto race, of course. First one in 1911, the first Indianapolis 500, so they've been doing that for over 100 years. You know what the average speed of the winning car was in the first Indianapolis 500? 74.6 miles per hour. 74.6 miles per hour. Boy, times have changed, have they not? Times have really changed. And when you think about it, nobody would really want to go back to those days. Would, how, how, for instance, would you have liked to come to worship services this morning in a horse and buggy? Now, there's some nostalgia associated with horse and buggy, but I'm going to tell you, I don't want to do all my, my traveling by horse and buggy anymore, do you? We don't want to go back to that. We've outgrown those things. If you stop to think of it, we've really outgrown it. Think of all the modern conveniences that you used just this morning in preparation and in coming to this place of worship. Of course, you came in your car. And I'll tell you, every car out there in the parking lot is capable of a lot more than 74.6 miles per hour. That's not to say we need to be doing that. But our cars are certainly better than the car that won the first Indianapolis 500. And, of course, there's all other sorts of things, all manner of modern conveniences that we have access to that would have shocked our grandfathers. They would have marveled at the things we have. Uh, think about your microwave oven. Think about your central heat and air conditioning. Think about your computer or your smartphone. We live in a time of just exploding technology. You can't hardly keep up with all the changes that technology is bringing our way. That leads some to think, since we have advanced, since we have gone so far, since we have outgrown so many old things, that leads some to ask the question, is it possible that man has outgrown the Bible? Do you think it might be so that since times are so different now, that maybe the Bible is an antiquated book that's not really applicable to us anymore? Uh, you know, it certainly was written a long time ago. Even the New Testament, the newest parts of the New Testament, well, we're looking at a book there that's nearly 2,000 years old, written to people who lived in a lot different times, written to people who don't know a lot of the things that we know, who, don't, who didn't enjoy the, the modern conveniences that we enjoy. And so maybe we have outgrown the Bible. Have you thought of that? My guess is that there are plenty of people in the world who think that's the case. We want to ask that question and answer it in our study this morning. We'll stop here for just a moment to say thank you for being present on this almost spring-like Sunday in Middle Tennessee. We're glad that you've come to be a part of this worship assembly. As we join together in praising God, we hope that He is glorified. As we join together in studying from His Word, we pray that we will handle aright the Word of Truth. If there's any problem there, if you have any question or concern or even disagreement, please say so, so we can work that out. But of course, what we really want to do when we've learned the truth of God is to make application in our daily lives. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks to our many visitors who are with us today. We're glad that you've come. We want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. Do you think man has outgrown the Bible? Really? You think that? We would answer with an emphatic no, that man has not outgrown the Bible. And we'd suggest several reasons why. Man has not outgrown the Bible unless he has found another food for the soul. Think about food for a moment. Uh, my guess is that many of you, if not almost all of you this week, have enjoyed some 
really good eating at your Thanksgiving meals and all that's gone on during this weekend. Did you eat any vegetables? Were there any vegetables on your Thanksgiving table? Did you enjoy any fruit during your Thanksgiving eating? And my guess is that you did. But you know that men have been eating fruit, fruits and vegetables all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Thousands of years people have been eating fruits and vegetables. But I haven't heard anybody saying that those things should be abandoned, that we have outgrown them, that we've outgrown fruits and vegetables. Uh, someone, probably tongue-in-cheek, suggested that Noah may have been the first person to grill a T-bone steak after the flood. I, I doubt that he did that exactly. But we do know that after the flood, men were authorized to begin to eat meat. And so, did you have any meat on your table? Well, uh, Noah was first authorized to eat meat thousands of years ago, but seems to me like steakhouses are still doing pretty well and people are still enjoying to eat meat. Have we outgrown that? And the answer is obviously no. There are some things we don't outgrow because they are essential to our very being. Physical food is, so is spiritual food. What nourishes our soul? In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, Jesus taught that God's will and God's word will supply that nourishment. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're going to be filled through the consuming of God's Word, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. When we think of a baby and milk, we think of the perfect nourishment that it supplies to a baby. That's the suggestion here of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Take in that perfect nourishment that God provides through the Word. In the text that Roger read for us earlier, from Hebrews chapter 5, beginning verse 12, the Hebrew writer was actually rebuking the people to whom he was writing because they had not grown. And he suggested, now here's, I think, a different use of the notion of milk. He says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. So there, there's simple things in the word. And here I think he's talking about that, the very simple principles of the word. If, that, if you're just limiting yourself to those very simple concepts, then you haven't grown as you should. He says, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Here the Hebrew writer is suggesting that the Word of God is complete, uh, that it provides the milk for the babe in Christ, but it also provides the meat for the more mature Christian. And we ought to attain to that level where we can consume the meat of the Word. It's interesting to know that some of the most intelligent men of all time have devoted their entire lives to the studying of the Scriptures, and they've never worn it out, and they've never uh, achieved all that they could, and there was always more there. Certainly, unless man has found another food for the soul, then he has not outgrown his need for the Bible. Another point that we could make is that man has not outgrown the Bible unless he has discovered another cure for his most serious disease. You know where man first began to write, to discuss, to understand principles about physical health? It was actually in the Bible. And at least as far back as Moses, 
God revealed things to men through his word concerning how they could treat and control diseases. Uh, the ideas of quarantine and isolation were certainly taught uh, in the law of Moses. But you know, even though men have been working for a long time to deal with physical ailments, I don't know anybody who said, ah, oh, we've outgrown that now. We ought to start closing down hospitals and clinics. We just don't need that anymore. No, even though men have been working at treating physical disease for a long time, they understand that it still is needed. We haven't outgrown it. Well, the same is true spiritually. Spiritual disease is rampant and it is raging. And men today are much like the description that was given of ancient Israel. In Isaiah chapter 1, beginning verse 5, the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And so Isaiah was describing the horrible spiritual condition of the people in that day. And I think we could argue that it's worse now than ever before. Certainly there are a lot of grievous physical ailments, illnesses in the world, ailments in the world, but the spiritual ailments of the world are the greatest. In the news recently, we've all been hearing about this horrible Ebola disease that's in Africa, but now spreading to other parts of the world, and there's even been some cases of Ebola here in the United States. Uh, and we would say, you know, those ancient principles of quarantine and isolation still, still sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it, to you? Wouldn't you like to see those who have been exposed to Ebola be quarantined for a time to make sure that they don't have it so that they don't spread it to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else? That's an old idea, but it still works. We haven't outgrown it. Spiritually, we haven't outgrown the need for the spiritual cure that's available in the Scriptures. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know how many people have died from Ebola so far? I saw just this week that it's right at 7,000. Right at 7,000 people have died from Ebola. That's bad. I mean, that's very bad. It's actually scary. But the fact of the matter is that only a very tiny, tiny fraction of the world's population is dealing with the disease of Ebola. But the whole world's population, and including all of us here this morning, we're dealing with this horrible spiritual ailment of sin and its consequences in our lives. The solution, thankfully, has been provided by the Lord. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, unless man has figured out another cure for the most serious disease, which is the disease of sin, unless that's happened, then we certainly have not outgrown the Bible. Man has not outgrown the Bible unless he has unearthed an, another map, another directive to get us to heaven. Have you ever looked at some of those old maps from several centuries ago? Uh, certainly men have changed their maps and have gotten them a lot more accurate. You know, you look at some of those ancient maps and you can hardly recognize the areas of the world, for instance, that we now know in greater detail and more accurately, um, the ancient ones certainly were inaccurate. For instance, in the days of Christopher Columbus, 
all those explorers who came this way from Europe, they weren't expecting to find us. So they weren't expecting to find the Western Hemisphere. They were actually trying to find a, a sea route to the to the Orient, to the Far East, uh, to make trade and commerce easier for them. Uh, they stumbled upon all of the Western Hemisphere sort of by accident. And so their maps were certainly inaccurate. And we've definitely outgrown those maps. We've got a lot better maps now. And now that we even have satellite technology, we can look at the Earth from outer space and get a perfect view of where everything is in relationship to everything else. And you'd have to argue that our maps are better than they've ever been before in the physical world. But God's map to heaven has always been accurate and it is today. And we need to understand that there's not a different or better map to get us to heaven. We can't find the way on our own. Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So we can't find the way our own. We've got to have direction because it's actually not an easy path. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 beginning, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. That's one of our memory verses. And it tells us that we need direction and help. We need to be in that straight and narrow way. It's not just like, just head out any way you want. It's not like it's a broad way and you'll be on it even if you're not trying to be on it. You're on your way to heaven. It's not like that. Jesus said it is a straight, a narrow way, and few there be that find it. We need to be on the path that God has laid to reach heaven. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's a mistaken notion uh, in the religious world that there are a lot of different roads all leading to heaven. I've heard people describe it before like maybe traveling between here and Nashville. If, you're, if you were to go from here to Nashville, there are a lot of different roads you could take. And they would all end you up in Nashville. Now, some might be better than others, more direct, faster, easier. But you could take a whole lot of different roads and you could end up in Nashville. And that's sort of like going to heaven, people say. A lot of different roads, all leading that way. No. Jesus said He is the singular way to the Father and we must approach God through Him only. By the way, just a side note. That memory, that old memory verse is in the bulletin this week and it's wrong. The new memory verse is this one. So for those of you keeping up with our memory verses, make note that the bulletin's wrong and the new memory verse is Acts 4 verse 12 that also teaches the same thing. Neither is there salvation in the other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12 teaches that God's way to heaven is the only way. And so man has not outgrown the Bible unless he has unearthed another map to heaven. Man has not outgrown the Bible unless he's figured out another weapon that Satan fears. Think about that for a minute. We know how Satan is described as a, a roaring lion in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Think about a lion on the loose, on the prowl. What would you want if there was a true, literal lion stalking prey right here in this immediate vicinity? 
Well, you want the best weapon available, right? Uh, I'll tell you, I don't want to go out there against a lion with just a rock to throw at him. Now, I might be able to scare him away with a rock, but not likely. In fact, I'll more than likely just make him mad and he'll come at me faster. I'm telling you, if there's a lion stalking about, I want the best weaponry available and I want to use it effectively to protect myself from that danger, right? Well, of course, God's Word supplies the best weaponry against Satan. And in effect, it is the only weapon available that can fight off Satan. You remember Ephesians chapter 6 where the Christian's armor is listed. You know this text well. Ephesians 6 beginning verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith for with you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. As you look at that, I think you see that all of our weaponry, both defensive and offensive weaponry that is described there, is connected with God's Word. So if someone says, well, I think we've outgrown the Bible. Well, when you say that, you're effectively saying, well, just take away everything that defends me against the attack of Satan. Now what am I going to use instead of that? Well, there is nothing else to use instead of that. And so unless man has devised another weapon that Satan fears like he does the Bible, then we still need it. We have not outgrown it. Finally, let me suggest to you that man has not outgrown the Bible unless he's learned of a meaning for life without it. By that, I simply mean that the Scriptures explain why we're here. The Scriptures explain how we got here, but more importantly even than that, I think, the Scriptures describe why we are here, what our life is about, what our purpose for existence is. Take the Bible out of the picture. Take God out of the picture, and you're just living life. You're just, what's it for? What's the purpose of it? Because what's going to happen is already happening, and that is you're growing old. And you know that it won't be long before you're sick and old and not much longer than that until you're dead and gone and forgotten in this life. What was your life about? What was it for? What was the purpose of your existence? Why were you here? What did it mean? Well, without God and without His message to us in the Word of God, it means nothing, absolutely nothing. How many of us have known people personally? who were not Christians, who did not care for God, who did not live for Him. And they lived their life, and they they were busy doing this or that or whatever, things that were important to them and so forth, but they died. And now all that's long gone and forgotten. And their memory is faded, and now there's nothing left. What was life for, for those who do not know God? The Bible gives us the information about the meaning for life. And unless we've learned a, a better way of understanding life and its purposes, then we still need the Bible. Remember Solomon, famous words in Ecclesiastes 12, beginning verse 13. Uh, Britt used to have this on his license plate. You still got it on your license plate, Britt? Oh, on his voicemail. And I, I know you used to have his license plate, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, Solomon, as we've often studied that 
interesting book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon had tried everything to discover meaning for life. Uh, and he was in a rare position to be able to do it, too, because he had effectively unlimited wealth, and he could pursue anything that his heart desired, and he did. And he found none of it satisfactory. And the last verses here of Ecclesiastes, he explains the answer. What is the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. That's what life is about. That's what gives meaning to life. And unless man has figured a better way of understanding why we're here, then certainly he has not outgrown the Bible. Lots of things have changed. We've got lots of new things, different things, advances in technology and so forth. But never imagine or never let anyone suggest to you that we have reached a point where we've outgrown the Bible and its message. That's just simply not the case. We need it as badly now as ever. Uh, and we need to learn it, and we need to obey it. We have not outgrown the Bible. What's your situation this morning? Have you submitted yourselves to the commands of God that are taught in His Word? It's not The Bible is, a, as we said earlier, very intelligent men have devoted their entire lives to understanding the Bible. And so there's some things about it that could invest the rest of your life and your time studying. It's got lots of important information there, but the simplest and most essential information about what you must do to be saved is not difficult to understand and doesn't take long to comprehend. Upon hearing God's truth, you need to believe it. Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never done that, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. He will say